It was. That was the disturbing part. I was like, where's this motherfucker getting pre-wrapped? Single wrapped. Individually wrapped pieces of a like thigh and wing bucket. Like, what the fuck? Look, it's just like a, it's not a hostess, but it is a cream pie. It is literally yeah. a cream pie. I just more imagine you pulling it out of your backpack and like that scene in Twin Peaks. I found my cream pie wrapped in plastic. Uh -huh. <laughs> I mean, that's just an accurate description. Are you not wanting to eat your cream pie because the riffling noises are getting picked up loud. by the, the <laughs> yeah. mic? We're giving, we aren't charging Here's them for the ASMR. ASMR yeah. Yeah. That's just... John, you can't leave your cream pie on the table like that. No. You fucking... Just, that was heavy and damp sounding you fucking <laughs> slut heavy and damp we this that those are all adjectives used for this group before <laughs> anyway hi and welcome to blank bodies a vampire the masquerade v5 tabletop and horror podcast i'm your host hunter and as always i am joined by i knew it was coming any moment because we were talking about cream pies it had to happen of course it's, it's, yeah. it's peak comedy exactly i'm john and that one over there is sarah yep Let's don't sound so excited about it sarah <laughs> i was trying to not sound upset existing is pain <laughs> for me today yes it is uh <laughs> yeah well we are talking about uh, beauty uh, is pain and suffering and yeah hi guys we we decided and by we i mean i decided that we had too many light episodes it was time to go back to the the heavy sad topics Woo 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 Let's get bumped out. Boo -ba -doo -doo -boo. Are we uh, are we doing any of the spooky month announcements? Yeah. Do we want to just go ahead and start Let, them off? Let's start light. Let's start right. light. Yeah, we'll give you some good news. Uh, so we are working on the corn tub, as we talked about last episode. That is in the works right now. Mm -hmm. Right now. We've had a budget meeting. It's yeah. true. We might, we might make a production trip this week. I have to build things. Yeah. It's going to be fun. I um, have to get my body. That's why you got to eat the cream pie. <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm sorry. I just love how heavy of a thunk it makes every time I throw it at the table. Yeah, it's a little scary. It's dense. <laughs> it is. Dense. Speaking of dense, uh, if you're one of our patrons, you get uh, a very dense amount of content as we have two, which will soon be three patron exclusive episodes to start our new patron uh, exclusive episode series mm -hmm. up now. So if you're listening to this right now, there's at least two exclusive episodes for the patrons. Yeehaw! Uh, we delved into Microscope, which is a non-World of Darkness game, but it's a game about creating your own histories and settings and that sort of thing. And so there's a whole episode just about Microscope itself. And then we did a little series where we built up a little college town for use in uh, World of Darkness. Any game line I think you could use with it, but... Yeah. Yeah. And we will be releasing the the notes for it, I believe, on the Patreon as well once we've finished. Yeah, this is... So we went a little overboard, so this is going to be close to, like, I think six hours of episode. So it'll take us a little bit to get the notes put together, but... Yeah, it's also our first time doing it, guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah! Yeah! So hooray, there's that. Um, and also, are we going to talk about the giveaway? Yeah, now would be the perfect time to talk about the giveaway because... 
with Corn Tub, we are doing a big giveaway like we did last year in October. This one's a little bit bigger. We got some prizes set up. And because the fall of Twitter and the inability to do polls and run things on there properly, we're moving all that to a patron. So if you are our, our patron in the month of October, you are automatically entered into a giveaway for a bunch of bunch of goodies. Mm-hmm. Goodies. And we'll be posting pictures of some of those giveaways items in the coming weeks but i can tell you right now the one of the big prizes is going to be a copy of the new werewolf the apocalypse game core book it growled at me mm-hmm. i think that was my tell me but <laughs> it's all the cream pie i keep smelling God. <laughs> i can't help it they're so good mm-hmm. um but yeah so we got that there's uh some really cool stuff that's made by some people in our discord uh there may be some merch in there uh, there's there's going to be some cool stuff we're going to be doing for the giveaway. So if you're on our Patreon, uh, you're automatically entered. You're good to go. And if you're interested in joining, uh, you can join our Patreon for those five bucks. You get a bunch of bonus episodes. We're going to keep adding one of those a month and, you know, some prizes. Spooky month. Spooky month. Spooky month. Uh, much like how we did with the Nosferatu preamble and the Malkavian preamble, we're having a uh, Toreador preamble. Uh, we're going to be talking about aesthetics, beauty, and the body and how it relates to social interaction, systemic violence, and morality. I'm going to give you all the heads up. I thought this was going to be a little bit more of a, uh, oh yeah, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, I can get this knocked out, problem, blah, 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 script. But it turned into a rabbit hole of shenanigans. And uh, so this is going to be more of an overview as opposed to a deep dive. If people want me to do deep dives on any of these, tell me with the social medias. Because fuck <laughs> um we do have a little bit of a content warning for today's episode it is uh racism colorism fat phobia body dysmorphia eating disorders bodily autonomy social darwinism scientific racism slavery eugenics and digital existentialism my favorite right? that one's my favorite ah, <laughs> that's the only one that's kind of like huh <laughs> yeah, like, oh, okay, I'll All engage right. with that. I kind of ended on a high note there. Yeah, <laughs> future good. sad. <laughs> oh, everything's crow with the future. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to be touching on a lot of things. Uh, because they are important and they are themes and things that are going to come up in games. Not just World of Darkness games, but because... Uh, World of Darkness games tend to be mature and deal with our real world. These are real world problems. So we're just going to talk about it because I feel like if I don't bring it up in the Toreador episode specifically, it's not responsible. But if I also bring it up in the Toreador episode, that's going to be like a third of the episode. It's going to fuck up the formatting. Yeah. So here we are. <laughs> Hunter Lurdy looks not happy with me. No, this that I, I've just got post chili face. Oh, okay. Uh, chili existentialism, we could call it. <laughs> chili existentialism. We need to add that to the content. Yeah. List. So for those who are interested, uh, the, the sources I researched and used for uh, this episode include the books History of Beauty by Umberto Eco, For the Love of Beauty, Art, History, and the Moral Foundations of Aesthetic Judgment by Arthur Pontyman. Pontyman. Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia by Sabrina Strings. A a psychologist explains why life is easier for attractive people by Romano Santos. What is the price of pretty privilege from uh, Bond University? And then Christopher Columbus, bringer of the apocalypse from Behind the Bastards. As well as videos from Polyphonic, Philosophy Tube, Abby Cox, and Kidology. All right. So... 
I went way too hard in the paint on this. <laughs> so I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> Skipper's also giving me chilly face. Nope, I'm just getting comfy. <laughs> That's okay. We're gonna we're gonna ease in. We're gonna ease in slowly, gently. Of course, you have to finger your cream pie. <laughs> God damn it! All right, so uh, we're gonna start off with what is beauty? Beauty is the quality or group of qualities in a person or thing that gives pleasure to the senses or the mind. That's from Merriam-Webster. Merriam. Merriam. Hell yeah. Uh. And then there's the quote that I kind of enjoyed from early on in the book, which is um, Talon. I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly because it's a Greek word and I don't speak Greek. Which only which only improperly may be translated by the term beautiful ought to put us on our guard. Beauty is all that pleases, arouses admiration, and draws the eye. And this is from Umberto Eco. Hmm. Which longtime listeners of the pod should be aware of Umberto Eco for writing the Ur-Fascism uh, essay that we've cited in that series several times. Oh yeah, from our uh, mm -hmm. Anarchs episodes. Uh... I think it came up there. I think I covered that more in the Sabat one. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because the Anarchs when I talked about violence and power. Well, I mean that that applies there too. Yeah, it's been over a year. My it's, brain. It's been a hot minute, and I've tried to stack things in a way where it's like ah, a logical plot line, which has made my life a mild hell. But it's fine. <laughs> so embrace the chaos. I'm trying. So that's the that's kind of a generally I think most people can agree is what we think of as beauty, but there's other forms of uh, appreciating, accepting, and viewpoints for beauty. I just wanted to cover three that I thought would be interesting and or could be helpful for uh, character generation, maybe. So there is the sublime. So those of you who showed up to the uh, Gen Con presentation has already listened to me scream about sublime. Uh, I never really liked him that much personally. <laughs> Yeah, you're more of a Sublime with Rome fan. <laughs> no! Uh, so the Sublime is generally known as large, overwhelming forces, entities, etc. that cause a sense of awe, terror, or introspection. And it, this is often written about or spoken about as a more mature or higher form of beauty. So like... <sighs> Really pretentious people will be like, beauty is just like enjoying things that are shiny and whatever. But like if you're enjoying the sublime, like the inherent eroticism of the ocean or storms, space. That's cool shit. Yes. Contemplating the, the oblivion that is death. Sublime. Sublime. Yes. If you're into gothic literature, that's that's where that is from. I so. dig it. Hell yeah. Then there's also hedonism. We have no idea about that in this group. <laughs> uh Bahidism views a good life as one based on pleasure, which is any mental state that is desired. So this is where you get into some of that like Hellraiser thought. We're like, yeah, I know like getting hit with a whip does hurt, but it's a, but it's a sensation I was looking for. So therefore it's a positive experience. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, but the, in hedonistic views, uh, beauty is desire for its own sake or uh, beauty is pleasure objectified, which is a George Santayana quote that... I thought was good. Mm -hmm. So, mm. yeah. So it, it, hedonism kind of basically pulls beauty from being this kind of esoteric thing more to a tangential, like it's something you can actually experience or buy or feel or touch or taste. Mm -hmm. You can lick the wallpaper, that kind of thing. So, I mean, you can always lick wallpaper. Yeah. So it's closer it's to green. Don't. It might be shale's green. <laughs> Ooh. Maybe do it twice. Yeah, we'll once in a lifetime experience. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, but you'll feel crazy. But what I was going to say is um, 
So I'd say with hedonism, it brings it more down to like when people who aren't actually talking about why they don't like pornography or talking about pornography, like the objectification. It's the same as like, I think what an art museum, a lot of art museums do to art. They're making it tangible. They're putting a price tag on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 10 bucks, you get to watch a porn video. 30 bucks, you get to go walk around the art museum. It's accessible. Mm-hmm. It's kind of making it marketable. It's making it it's something that you can buy because you want it. Yeah, it, it becomes yeah. transactional. Yeah, well, it's not even just transactional. It's just you're experiencing beauty and pleasure and desire because it's something that you want. And like, that's the the want of it is the wholesale stop. Like, that's it. So it's not necessarily like you're you're not buying something because necessarily like it's functional. It's not something that you need. It's not something you're buying the brand for clout. It's just... The thing gives you the serotonins, so you buy it. Okay. So, you know, like, we all have enough fucking dice, but we still keep buying dice because the click-clack math rocks make your crow brain happy. Hedonism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like, you don't technically need any more dice. The dice are not any shape that are anything you particularly need. They're not, like, from a brand that does these, like, science dice that are super, like, balanced. Right. Or whatever. You're not buying them as a gift to give to somebody else, though you could, and that could technically be the hedonistic thing. It's like, I'm buying this, but the dice aren't giving me the pleasure. It is the giving it to my friend to make them happy. Yeah. No, I've, I've heard in art circles argued, <laughs> though, that like a museum strips the sublime from the art because when you go to a museum, it is such a um, controlled, almost like lab-like scenario in mm-hmm. which you're encountering these pieces of beauty, you can still call them beautiful, but like it strips a lot of the emotions that you could have from a piece from it because its presentation is so sterile and there's mm-hmm. a security guard with a gar- gun standing five feet from you and there's kids running around. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a fair thing because I've gone through uh, museums stateside where we tend to have things be very sterile and kind of just like a, you're here to observe the piece. And then uh, right before COVID, I went through the Scottish National Galleries, but they have that in old like castle building. So uh, a lot of the art pieces you are enjoying, but they're in rooms and in buildings that were built for the time period. So you're actually enjoying the pieces and the con- the historical context that they are made in. Yeah, see, that's Which is a cool. different different experience. It was great. I filled up my bag with like little cans of like basically screwdrivers that I bought at the train station and was just drinking the whole time. <laughs> nice. That seems like the Scottish experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just drunk as fuck walking around the free gallery just going, oh, that's neat. When I was in New York, we went to the Cloisters, which mm. is like the Mets offshoot thing. It's in Central Park, but like you go through all these woods up this big hill and then there's like a little castle. Yeah. And you go in the castle and it's got a bunch of old, you know, medieval art in there. Mm-hmm. At the time, they had a unicorn in captivity. Mm-hmm. And I set the alarm off because um, I got too close. <laughs> so a little off topic, but it was very cool, though. Sorry. It was very cool because like like you were saying, it fits the, the whole thing is like, oh, I'm looking at this. How kind of how it would have been presented. Yeah. So. I can't. I can't remember. It's like was the cloister originally like a building that like monks or like nuns would live in? I'm trying to remember what the purpose of a cloister was. I don't think I it was. Thought an a art... cloister was a portion of a cathedral. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm very bad at my Catholicism dictionary. How dare you? <laughs> 
I I would have been able to tell you if I was still in art school and had just taken art history, because every time you take art history, there's a portion of the class where they make you study the different portions and functions of cathedrals. Okay, so I know why I got the definition I thought it was. Mm. So cloister, as in some, they were cloistered, means mm. secluded or shut up in or as if in a convent or monastery. Mm. So if someone ha- is is being cloistered mm. that means that they've joined um, them um, like a monkhood or a brotherhood but as a noun it is a covered walk in a convent monastery college or cathedral typically with a wall on one side and a colonnade open to a quadrangle on the other jesus oh. fucking christ that's a lot of words ex- i know exactly specific. what that is though yeah i can yeah. picture it perfectly yeah, yeah, yeah okay i know what that is i've seen it in films <laughs> i think there's a church close to my place that has one. Oh, that's cute i think Maybe it doesn't. Oh. So the the last uh, form or uh, viewpoint for BD I just wanted to cover real quick for us is absurdism. Yay. It's my favorite. Yeah, a little, little Camus action. Uh, but yeah, so absurdism is basically dealing with the contradiction between the meaninglessness of the universe and the human desire to find meaning. Because, you know, that's fun. Yeah. So taking an absurdist view into beauty and aesthetics, uh, beauty can be found in confronting the absurd and continuing to live and create as an act of rebellion. Uh, rebellion is a big theme in a lot of like Camus readings and works. If you if you get into that, I'm, I'm kind of recommending people check that shit out for the mental health reasons. Ah, uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, creating art is holding up a piece of the ugly world and finding pleasure in it anyways, which is fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, having beauty reminds us to keep on living. Yeah. It's like, yeah, the universe is garbage. I am pointless. Everything is pointless. Why Why would I keep doing stuff? And it's like, well, sometimes people just have really neat hobbies. <laughs> 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 they don't all have to be horrifying porn sometimes yeah. it's just you know needlepoint or you know it's going on hikes and our silly cartoon silly cartoon yeah um i think it also if you want to go a little more academic with it you could use that as a lens to view uh, like moral plays or stories like the uh, emperor's clothes mm-hmm. or the emperor's and naked mm-hmm. in the end things like that where it's yeah. A story that's intentionally absurd, but in doing so makes a greater point about society. Hell yeah. Good stuff. Good fucking stuff. So, gonna talk a little bit about uh, pretty privilege, which I understand is gonna upset some people. That's fine. We're gonna move on. Uh, (laughs) Despite the meaninglessness of the universe, we're going to press on. Boop, 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 boop. That's absurd. Right? So, this concept of pretty privilege is the culmination of centuries of tying the ideas of worth, intelligence, success, and health into uh, attractiveness. Basically, uh, this kind of boils down to the outward appearance of a person will reflect their moral character. Is a, and uh, this concept has been spoken about since like Greco-Roman times and has had various interpretations through uh, biblical interpretations, the Enlightenment, the industrial area, including up into today where you see things with like almond moms or some water talk water talk you also get like uh, there's still some of the religious people that will have the you need to be presenting a certain way for you to be a good person yeah you know i think it's exceptionally interesting to bring up now when i think now that gen z and younger people are interacting with everyone else more Mm -hmm. on an equal level online like they're very obsessed with aesthetics Mm-hmm. And grouping certain aesthetics in a way that I feel like a lot of generations just don't get. Yeah. Like older people are just like confused by. 
Or it's like tying the aesthetic with a certain type of personage and behavior. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you have this vibe, so therefore you're going to act like this. And if you act like this, therefore good or a bad person. Yeah. So it's a very like quick shorthand, hmm. which humans have been doing for fucking millennia, but it's just now done, I feel, faster. Yeah. Because internet. We speed ran it. <laughs> yeah, we speed ran it. We no clips through being judgmental bitchy people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I guess. Get it over quick. Get it get it done. Yeah. Um, but this also ties into what in psychology is known as the halo effect, which if you read about it, it's fucking fascinating. Uh, but basically, this is a psychological effect where if we see one good trait in a person, we will assign them having other positive traits, regardless if they ever actually show it or there's any evidence for it. Hmm. This is just something all people do. Just be aware that this is a thing that happens. So you might see somebody like, oh, they're hot. So you're going to start assuming like, oh, okay, so they're probably going to be funny and fun to hang out with. And, you know, maybe we'll have the same hobbies. Da, 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 and the, like that could be completely untrue. Right. So, yeah, just stupid, dumb monkey brain thing that we all do where we just go, ah, there's one good thing. Clearly, there's all these other good things. And it's like, no, not always. <laughs> the, Sometimes it's quite different. <laughs> Sometimes it's quite opposite, actually. The opposite is true, too. Mm -hmm. And I think you could definitely see it online where someone like a creator or someone that maybe you didn't like or maybe someone you really liked and are upset about it gets in trouble for something and you see the comment section go from they did this bad thing that we need to deal with to just people like making up or like assuming oh they must also do this and this and like start assigning negative traits to this person based on one negative thing they've done yeah like i feel like people get real spooled up about it in both directions where oh, it's like yeah. It's kind of like the Mr. Beast thing where it's like, oh, he does all this charity. He must be a perfect man. I'm not going to debate the qualities of Mr. Beast, but I feel like that mm -hmm. being tied with um, like our relationship with Internet people goes even faster than it does yeah. with um like people you know in real life like yeah. if I, I you were to bring a friend over like mm -hmm. yeah i'd already have the assumption that it's a friend of a friend so i'm assuming they're going to be at least kind of cool mm -hmm. but like i don't know you still got to meet someone face to face and talk but when you have like these internet entities that are already like intangible in existence it's already parasocial to begin with so yeah. when you a new fact is revealed that is good or bad you go like people go very quickly into the extreme where it's like celebrity donated money. Oh, wow. They must be, must be such a caring, beautiful individual mm -hmm. or like celebrity said bad thing. Wow. What a dickhead. I bet they're this or that. I bet they kick puppies right in their stupid face. <laughs> where? No, don't, kick puppies. don't kick puppies in their face. I feel like parasocial relationships have kind of like we said about, you know, the aesthetic judgment just mm -hmm. have hyper charged all of these fallacies. Mm -hmm. So you're just pedestaling or uh, garbaging people really, really quick based on like, well, you only have a couple of context clues. And you can't really fully know somebody. Yada, yada. Yeah. Uh, uh, but this also falls into my, my continuing argument of everybody simps. Everybody does this. I think calling people simps is a weird insult because everybody does it. Like just the halo effect is one. Uh tons of other things and i i read so many studies i did i'm not talking about them all well i'm not I, even citing them all there's just a few things i listed of just things to be aware of uh about uh humans tend to give favor to people we deem to be attractive this is a form of implicit bias which implicit bias is a automatic or unintentional judgment decision or behaviors based on just visual factors usually but I mean, the thing with like the insult simp, mm -hmm. and I think it's you go along with things like Karen or other mm -hmm. um, 
pop cultural insults or things. A, simp has existed a lot longer than it has been like culturally big. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I think it started in a way that made sense. And mm-hmm. then it's just become like a, the concept has grown bigger than the people who understand what it really was intended to mean. Because mm-hmm. originally this, it wasn't like, being called a simp wasn't just like, oh, you find X attractive and so you interact with it. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you're like that weird dude who's like heart liking and saying so pretty on a girl's every single photo and being like creepy and weird about it. Mm-hmm. When it's like there was a re- there was very clear like an embarrassing stage to it where it's like you are not understanding your role in this back and forth dynamic. Mm-hmm. You're either being taken advantage of or putting yourself in a position to be taken advantage of. That was what simp originally meant as an insult. And it eventually just meant like went for anything from like, oh, you're publicly horny to like, oh, you admitted to finding someone attractive. Like the um, the definition changed yeah. as it reached like pop cultural amplitude. Yeah. I mean, language is weird and flippantly like that. So there's like, I can't account for that. But that is a, uh, oh, I got a notification. <laughs> Flibbly is a good word. Flibbly. Yeah, it's a little wibbly wobbly. Flibbly. 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 Yeah. So, uh, but being aware of the fact that, yeah, if you find somebody attractive, even if it's not like horny on main attractive, you do have the implicit bias of giving them the benefit of the doubt and, you know, doing things for them. And this is just something everybody does. So, like, don't be feel bad about it. Just be aware of it. Uh, some of the studies, uh, I'm just going to synopsize a couple of things that I thought was interesting was attractive students tend to be graded better by their teachers. I did find a study that shows that this effect drops off for female students in remote learning. Interesting. Not for the males. Like if you're an attractive dude in class or remote learning, you will be graded a little bit better than your peers. But if you're a female huh. student, this works for you in person, not online. Weird. I don't want to add to the creepy, and and this will kind of add on as we go further in the list, that uh, a lot of female attractive, like how women are perceived with attractiveness affects how people view their worth. And part of that also involves them having access to them and their bodies. So if it's remote learning, it's like, well, I don't, I have less access to them. So therefore Mm. I don't care as much, which I'm not trying to say is what happened, but that was kind of the hmm pause moment I had when I read that. Uh, but yeah, there's also attractive people can actually earn more money. Uh, one of the studies I found is that uh, employers are willing to increase uh, the pay for employees that they deem to be attractive by 10.5%. Wow. As opposed to they're not as attractive peers. Uh, and attractive servers can earn roughly $1,200 more per year in tips. Uh, this effect tends to affect female servers more than their male counterparts. So that's about a hundred bucks extra a month. Mm-hmm. So it's mm. small, but noticeable. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I, I this is from a study I'd read years ago when I used to work serving jobs. So I made a point of if I'm going to be on clock and I know I'm facing customers, brows, mascara, lipstick was on because <laughs> it directly affected my pay for the day. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. But mm, that's the world we live in. Uh, last little note that I thought was interesting, which is attractive people are seen as more social which grants them more access to job hirings and dating opportunities. So merely by the metrics of being perceived as being conventionally attractive, you are already automatically granted more access to opportunities than everybody else around you in your peer group, which is something that I've had a few friends I've had to sit down and be like, hey, bro, (laughs) I know you think you've had life on easy street. Did you consider the fact that it might just be because people just want to fuck you? (laughs) Not saying you didn't work hard. But there's amounts of effort that you have not had to put in that other people in your peer group have and maybe just like 
keep that in keep that in mind. Think about it. Think about it for two seconds. Um, but yeah, being aware of these kinds of biases can help you with your own self-esteem and self-confidence issues, as well as building friendships with people from a wider variety of groups. Hello. Because a lot of these studies that say attractive uh, didn't explicitly get into the uh, like the Western European beauty standards things and colorism and things like that, but I know that those things do affect attractiveness ratings for a lot of people. So, you know, keep that in mind. <laughs> Especially if you're storytelling and you're describing NPCs as attractive, make sure you're varying the body types and backgrounds that these people are coming from. Otherwise, it becomes a really weird read on yourself. Not that I've seen that happened at so many fucking tables. <laughs> You're just like, man, the ST's got a type, which is fine. Maybe not every NPC has to be your type. I don't know. Just, eh. mm-hmm. I have the uh, I have a habit of not describing characters in positive or negative ways directly to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that helps. Also, I run a lot of modules, so I'll just like, this says they have chestnut hair and fiery blue eyes. Mm-hmm. Do with that what you will, I guess. Fiery blue. I like that. Well, you know, it's super hot because it's blue. That's how science works. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's a good way to, if you're kind of weirded out by that concept, is to try and not describe, yeah. especially humans, as excessively one or the other. Might yeah. be a good start. Mm. I feel I- like that's a good starting ground is to find like a good baseline and then mm. grow from that. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'll I'll give my little throwing roses at Fifth Ed so far is I do appreciate that while they're keeping up with the World of Darkness line of a lot of people are hot. <laughs> Apparently being a villain just makes you hot. They do have a pretty decent variety of different peoples and body types. And, you know, I was like, good, good. Keep going. Do more of that. Ha ha. Yes. Because goddamn. <laughs> Uh, but you know, I, I, I'm, I'm also just a big proponent of like body positivity, but anyways, moving on. Uh, so we're going to do a quick history of what it is to be hot or as I phrase it, how colonialism affects your sense of self-worth. Whoop, 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 whoop. Hooray. Strap in. So, uh, unfortunately in Europe, the practice of slavery does trace back to ancient times. I'm just going to talk about ancient Rome for a, a smidgy, which, uh, the laws for, uh, Slavery were basically dictated in the European context of those who would be enslaved were just outside of the dominant culture. So for ancient Rome, it was Roman pagans were like the safe group. And if you weren't a Roman pagan or a Roman citizen, you could be put into a system of slavery. And then as time has progressed, it moved into European Christians. So that was how it was. And it eventually got codified during the Renaissance with like canon laws was basically this form of like religious based slavery. So it's like if you're not a Christian, we can put you on the boat. Because hmm, that and, will help you find Jesus. Well, those who have found Jesus can't be enslaved because right. Christians don't enslave other Christians. Right. But if you were enslaved, could you become Christian and get out of it? I think so. You, that I didn't research. It would still suck, like yeah. having to give up your belief in your religion just to not be a slave. But I, I, no. I'm just genuinely curious if someone was just like, I get it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm done, probably. Honestly, probably. But yeah, this is where we get the... Uh, you know, the the civilizing missions of like, oh, no, no. See, we need to take this land and property because, you know, these these people don't know what they're doing. They don't mm. know Jesus yet. Right. Which and totally doesn't happen anymore. Not you at know, all. Not no. at all. And, you know, the messianic uh, cult fundraising, you know, because we have to we need to get all this gold and land together because if we don't take back the holy land, the world won't end and Jesus won't come back. Damn it. Ugh. 
that's totally not bummer. something that is still a problem. But, you know, I didn't talk about it for this episode. We're going to move the fuck on. Ah, so, uh, do you think Jesus would get really mad or, like, do you think he'd be upset or uncomfortable if he was, like, playing a video game and his character started T-posing? Like, Jesus's character was T-posing? Yeah. I don't know. Would he be like, I don't know if I like this? I think, no, I think he'd forgive. <laughs> fuck. Yeah? Okay, you're probably right. <laughs> You know, that made me uncomfortable, but it's okay. I love you. Yeah, he turned the other cheek. Yeah, okay. He's like, I forgive you, Bethesda Studios. I'm like, Jesus, do not forgive Bethesda <laughs> Studios. Don't do that. They haven't asked for forgiveness. No, but given this context, uh, Southern Europe tended to partake in this practice more due to just geography and political uh, location or leanings. Because when you're in Southern Europe, you're really close to a bunch of places where there's not Christians. Uh, so therefore, you're going to participate in it more. Yeah. Which is horrifying. Yeah. So, uh, there were some... Oh, my God, I'm going to sneeze. Hold on. Uh, okay. Sorry. So... You didn't sneeze. I didn't. I thought I was. My nose lied to me. But there were views at the time that it's kind of the proto... You can kind of see where the racism, colorism stuff sort of came from that we deal with today, mm. which is uh, people that lived closer to the equator tended to have darker skin, but were seen as intelligent, but lacked emotional control. Huh. Which kind of relates back to like the humor's thoughts on things where it's like, well, they're it's hot, so they're like too full of passion and the, the blood is spicy. Right. That kind of thing. And then when you got to the mid-range, people had mid-toned skin and were calm but dumb as fuck. Okay. That was the thought. And then Northern Europeans were like the perfect balance. Uh-huh. And I'm like, uh-huh, sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that mid-range sounds pretty good to me. Hot Just sounds dumb. chill. Just chill and dumb as fuck. He's living. <laughs> you still got chilly face. Just, just the that was the good. He's too blissed he out from the chili. chili. Oh my god. He's ghost pepper. You didn't, you didn't drink yesterday. You just replaced it with chili. And I had a sprite. Well, a mini can of sprite. Oh my god, a whole six ounces. Whoa. Fuck. He's going crazy. It was my birthday. I get to go a little overboard. <laughs> That's true. So. uh... A little bit of extracurriculars, if, if the class wishes. Um, there is a portrait that I think is interesting in one of the books I'd read about. Uh, the portrait of an African woman, uh, Katharina, by Albrecht Durer. Oh, damn, Durer. Yeah. So if anybody wants to Google that, cool, go for it. If not, it's not that deep. I know this is an audio medium, and I can only do so much. But yeah, it's, cool it's really good. Yeah. So the physical beauty standards of this time period in Europe was generally just what boils down to plump but shapely. 1520s. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's kind of renaissance. Yeah. And this this kind of beauty standard will kind of continue on until... Uh, kind of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, basically until the Industrial Revolution. And, and then it kind of starts to wibble. and then. Yeah. But we'll get into that. We'll get into that. Uh Base, and, and the way it's described is not terribly different from a lot of beauty standards now, where it's like, we like particularly women to be on the thicker side, but to be like proportionate and in shape. Hopefully that makes sense. I think so. Yeah. So it's like, so that's, that's kind of the preferred aesthetic. And a lot of the African slaves that were being brought up into Europe fit this beauty standard to a T. So there ended up being a lot of artist models that were African in this time period. And you get some really gorgeous, really early art hmm. of like black and brown women and some men. Usually it's women though. Uh, but the Europeans kind of had the quandary of she pretty, but I can't be into this because society like 
Hmm. And there's also a lot of the social standards where there was some stigmas around like the facial features of uh, black and Asian women just because like they had broader noses and uh, different like facial structures than like Caucasian or not actually not actually Caucasian, but white Europeans. Uh, so they so a lot of black women, particularly in art this time period, were put up as these kind of Venus figures, but they were socially knocked down a few pigs due to like their face shape. And, you know, being slaves. <laughs> that'll, that'll, that'll do it. That'll do it. That'll do it by itself. <laughs> and this portrait I've, reading about it was kind of fascinating because uh, because Dewar did it and he is an artist that did uh, a lot of printmaking. Yeah, see, I only, I only, in school, I only knew about the printmaking. So hearing oh. about his other work is interesting. Yeah, like, he's got a lot of really cool, like, if you like really dramatic gothic, like, biblical art of, like, demons and shit, Dewar's got a ton of great shit. Uh, which is mostly what I know him from. But this portrait of uh, Katharina is actually one of the few, if not first, portraits of a black woman that would had gone around mainstream and continental Europe. So for a lot of white people, this is the first time they saw a black person was this picture <laughs> in the 1500s. <laughs> like, this was it. This wow. is all they knew. Wow. Which is crazy to think about. Um, and it's interesting also reading about how... Uh, Durer's thoughts on black people really shifted pre-doing this work because in his own notes he had written he had not great views of black people and then he met her and a couple other like indentured like slaves mm -hmm. and he did drawings and carvings for like lithographs and stuff of them and then after that he's just like yeah they're gorgeous I don't know why I was such a bitch <laughs> Hell yeah. He just, like he met a few black people and he went, no, actually they're chill. I don't know why we enslaved them. Oh, well. <laughs> that sucks. Sorry That's, about that. Yep. My bad. <laughs> Which is It's good that wild. He, he, he learned. Yeah. He, he learned himself. That's good. Yeah. It's just wild how often being a student of history, you run into people that just have very terrible views of other people's and then they go meet some of them and they're like, no, oh, they're, wait. Oh, wait, actually, hold on. They're also people? What? That's, that's weird. Pretty, that's neat. Hold I like, on. I did those guys. <laughs> Kind of the Lovecraft ending. Yeah, yeah. Where if you, if you read, they're kind of hard to find because they're not as published as like his stories. Mm -hmm. But um, he was a big letter writer. And in a lot of his later letters, he was kind of like, wow, I, w I said a lot of fucked up shit. I had a lot of bad ideas. Huh. Yeah. Huh. It doesn't forgive the cat. No. no. Not at all. No, 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 no. But it is interesting if you're a fan of him. I would definitely recommend reading through some of his like published uh, letters and stuff. Him yeah. and the Conan the Barbarian guy were like best friends, and it's interesting to I see their. That. It's interesting to see their like back and forth, and it's funny because they're both kind of like the opposite ends of the spectrum type mm -hmm. of men. But because they are just writing about their cool science sci-fi stories and stuff, they like they're were just like bromance. Nerds. But it's like one guy was like uh, tough as nails, like actually did like adventuring and stuff. And the other guy was like, if I leave my mom's house, I will be killed by an Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> it shouldn't be funny. Ugh, God, uh, racism's so stupid. Yeah, uh, he's such a wimp. Speaking of that, so there's another person. So who's I've just up. been staring at this dude's artwork. Oh, Arbrecht Durer is so good. So it's also fucking cool. Super in the commons. So if you just like want to print it out and put it on things, do it. Hell yeah. But yeah, so you add as act as a counter benefit. Uh, counterbalance to katharina uh there is a uh, sarah bartman who's also referred to as the hottentot venus <sighs> this is such a fucking sad story i'm not going to get into all of it if people want me to let me know 
There's also a really good video about her as a historical figure done by Ask a Mortician. Mm. If that gives you any clues. Mm. <laughs> I'm glad I paused because I was going to make a joke about the hot and top Venus. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of people did. A lot of people did. So, boop, boop, boop. Uh, Sarah Bartman, uh, her time as being a quote unquote ethnographic freak show. Oh. Ran between roughly 1805 to 1815. So we're doing a bit of time skip, guys. Uh, but the, mostly this happened in Britain and France. And this was done as kind of a touring sideshow thing to showcase African beauty and barbarism to her, due to her fuller figure, darker skin, and harsh slash monstrous features. Jeez. And if you want to, if you do not have to do this, if you don't want to, but if you just want to see the wild shift in the portrayals of black people in just over a couple of centuries in Europe, go, go Google Hot and Top Venus and just see just the racist ass caricatures that came up as the playbills for her when she was being put on tour. Jesus. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, definitely. Content, <laughs> content warning. warning. It's fucked up. It's fucked. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's upsetting. It's not a good time. Sometimes I'm glad this show's only an audio medium. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck. What the fuck? Yeah. Just, uh And there was note that certain visitors did complain about going to the show because they, instead of seeing an imposing and majestic Venus of the Cape of Storms, we found a svelte Venus. Like, they were upset that the woman they went to go see basically looked like Megan the Stallion as opposed to, like, the caricature that they were being advertised. They're like, we were expecting a real monster freak and it was just some lady. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking wild. Yeah, and her story is fucking tragic and sad and just ridiculous and like, oh God. Also, just a little context. Mm -hmm. It's not one that from I can tell anyone um, uses in any sort of way mm -hmm. at all. But a uh, hot and tot, not not the coolest phrase. Don't no. go, don't go saying that. Do not. It uh, sounds fun. Do not. No, 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 it's, no. It's basically a made up region by Europeans who didn't recognize Africa as a real country, and they're just like, well, this area is the hot and tot yeah, well, snow. They, yeah, they didn't respect mm. the different actual cultural divides that existed in various parts of Africa. So when Europeans were going and just like carving up the country or the various countries within Africa, uh, they were just, uh, and this was also particularly in the 1800s the big time of assigning people racial groups and subracial groups and we'll get into that in just a moment but yeah the the thing with the the hot and tot that's extra just galling is uh that group doesn't really exist and basically this was when there was a big push in scientific racism and phrenology to assign black people specifically a bunch of negative traits, which is where like the caricatures really, really come in and seeing that kind of shift in art where you're just like, I don't, it's like white people did not forget how to draw black people over 300 years. That's not what the fuck happened. This was like specifically like, we need to justify the shitty things we are doing. And if we can justify being like, well, they're basically animals and they're stupid. Like, mm. I'm doing them a kindness, actually, by taking them in and teaching them how trousers work. Like, <laughs> crazy, wild, fucked up shit. So, uh, basically, every facet of colonialism, classism, patriarchy, disability, discrimination, etc. has a long and well-documented history of pamphlets, magazines, and illustrations showcasing 
those who fall outside of the desired aesthetic, usually through the means of caricature. Yeah, that's we. You if you want to go back to our old episodes, uh, like really early, you could even tie this into the episode I did on uh, the creator of Hustler Magazine, mm-hmm. and like his whole what got him in trouble was a lot of these groups of people he was just displaying as they were as sexual. Mm-hmm. We're at a time when it was like you either went to the standard or like for lack of a better terms, you made a freak show out of it. Mm-hmm. Whereas he was displaying these different peoples as just sexual. Yeah. And that kind of yes. And like the other side of this, which is really dark side and kind of fucked up of uh, this, these vicious cycles of images along with social laws or laws and like social actions uh, constantly created and compounded the cycles of uh, subjugation for people who do not meet the like standard aesthetic, which can give this historical illusion of these people not existing. Hmm. Which is why you end up with like cases now where people are just like, well, I didn't see anybody with disability back in the day. I was like, no, they existed. It's just if they did exist, they were either a caricature in a magazine or... Or they shoved them away into, like, a facility. It's like, there were ugly laws where it was fucking illegal to the point of jail time and fines. That if you had crutches or a walking aid or just your face was kind of fucked up or you were visibly, like, had Down syndrome, that was a crime. You couldn't be outside. Even in the U.S. up until, like, the 70s. Which is where, like, the, I'll go with the Simpsons Trios of Horror reference, Mm -hmm. like, the the evil brother in the attic, or the, Mm -hmm. a lot of those stereotypes, or Cellar Dweller. Yeah, what is, oh, the Disappointments Room. Yeah. Yeah, that's where that came from, because, yeah, that, that would happen sometimes. Yeah, just, they're just like, well, uh, oh, gosh, yeah, it's crazy. It's, oh, God. You can even get, we can get into that with the Nosferatu we talked about a little bit, Mm -hmm. like, them. The people who don't quite uh, get turned right have to be kept in mm-hmm. their own special little area of the sewer or whatnot. Yeah, at least for those Nosferatu, it was more of just a, like, their turning was just so extreme, like, they just can't physically function on their own. Yeah. But you could tell that kind of story, I think, and yeah. still bring that in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So this is kind of a, hey, hey, guys, uh, there's there's people these days that are saying, like, oh, I can't believe there's suddenly all these people here that exist. That's wild. This is a new internet trend. I'm like, no, they've been here the whole time, homie. Mm. Like, just from, just... Just because you didn't commonly see them like being depicted, that doesn't mean that they they weren't fucking there, right? Dumb fuck. Sorry. It's it's interesting because I think you see more commonly in very wealthy areas and very poor areas Mm -hmm. these people having to be integrated with regular society more often than you do in like kind of the normal like uh, every day like middle class areas Mm -hmm. like. You know, I've one thing I see is, you know, you'll see like a rich character who's like he's in a wheelchair, but, you know, he's overcome that and he inherited money. Uh, Mm Well, you'll see presentations like that or you'll see like a poor character who's to be made more sympathetic. They'll use some of these signifiers to make Mm -hmm. them more, more tragic, more tragic or whatever. Whereas like you don't see them in like the Americana, like Greece style, like middle ground. There is a reason for that. And we're just about to talk about that. Cool. Ah, strapping guys gets darker. Um, so, uh, with the rise of scientific racism in the 1700s, mostly the late 1700s, uh, new forms of classification come into vogue and become very, very popular, especially around skin tone, body types, facial structure, and perceived health. (sighs) All Uh, right. Yeah, this doesn't sound at all relatable. Uh, there are, uh, 
there was a basically a distinct effort and focus to basically justify white European superiority. And that is part of the reason why if anybody ever says anything about scientific racism being a science, it's not. It is a bad pseudoscience and verbally slap them, please. Because hmm. <laughs> it's like, even if you are taking scientific rigor to it, it's like you already came into this with a presupposed end conclusion and you're trying to force justify everything towards your conclusion. That's not how science works. Please fuck off. Anyways, uh, so uh, the basic social milieu of this was gentrified men were seen as the arbiters of taste and beauty capable due to their more rational and masculine minds. I'm not being hyperbolic. That's literally how it was written in the text back in the day. Please go look up the source material. It'll, you'll be shocked. And basically to uh, go in tandem with this, gentrified women were seen as representatives of these judgments. So <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, uh, just, just fucking, I will own this kind of stuff as part of the reason why I, I get annoyed with certain types of like pick me girls that are just like, I'm not like other girls. I'm just like, you're helping them. You're helping the bad thing You're that's keeping you be them. sad. You could just be chill, but no. Ugh. Anywho, moving on. Uh, basically, those who fall outside of the uh, standards of taste and beauty were deemed uh, not only lesser in social value, but preserving of the poor treatment they received in society. It's just like, a, well, if God didn't want you to, to suffer, he would have made you pretty. <laughs> okay. And you're pretty um, due to things that I have decided because I have the good brain. Mm -hmm. I have the good brain. <laughs> like, it's wild. I'm not going to subject the listeners to some of the shit, but I have been poisoning my brain with these fucking books for three weeks. And dear God, it's bananas. Uh, but yeah, so this we're going to boil down to really quickly for you guys on physiognomy, physiognomy, phrenology, and race science. Hmm. <sighs> Great. So these are, as I've said, pseudosciences that are no longer practiced or used in academia. If anybody online is telling you that I have a scientific source for any of this bullshit, they are lying. That is a lie. And these uh, subjects are tied in explicitly with white supremacy, eugenics, and genocide. So these will always end badly. Please do not treat these as good things or fun things because they are not. Cool. Thank, Thank you, friends. Them. Appreciate you. And... If you need further, if I didn't push this hard enough for you guys, uh, these defunct old studies were used to justify colonialism, chattel slavery, and the genocides of the Third Reich. Like, literally. Not being hyperbolic. Cool? Okay. So, physiognomy is the study of the shapes of your facial features and how those relate to your personality, character, and morality. That's basically what it is. So, like... He's got a strong jaw. He must be this, this, this. Yes. Yeah. There's some books you can find because the books are so old. They're just in the public commons mm -hmm. where the books will say people have like uh, cheating eyes. But if you look at the illustration for cheating eyes, it's literally just like an Asian person. Mm. <laughs> it's like what? They have suspicious nostrils and it's just somebody with like a flatter, like, uh, like Siberian kind of nose. Yeah. Just some of the most wild ass, like what the fuck? So it's basically like if you take the energy of palm tree and you put it to people's faces mm. and you use that as justification to keep brown people out of your stores. That's what it is. It's fucking wild. Where it's like, ah, you could tell that they're a good moral standing because their eyes are so far apart. And right. Yeah. Just like, mm, that's, <sighs> It's, oh, God damn, it, it hurts my brain. <laughs> but yeah, the, the practice of physiognomy dates all the way back to 
probably Aristotle. The oldest book we have is from around that time and was either written by him or like students of his. That part is unclear. So, you know, like the astrology girlies. Mm. <laughs> it's a pseudoscience. But unlike the astrology girlies, they don't do genocide. So good news. I've never Yay! Yay! The gay star science is safe. Um, but yes, Faces in the Army got pushed into being a quote unquote science in 1794 by Johann Kasper Lavator. That's a shame because that's a cool name. It is. There's some really cool ass names for yeah. some fucking terrible ass, terrible like, people. Such a cool name for such a big turd. Yeah, if you do, you want to read the first quote to know how big of a turd he is? Oh man, hold on, I gotta read it first. Mm -hmm. It is indisputable that all men, absolutely all men, estimate all things, whatever their physiognomy, their exterior, temporary, super physiques. What? Yeah. Basically, his justification for physiognomy to be a science is because we're all judgy bitches. <laughs> Literally, that—that's what it boils down to. It's just <laughs> humans are judgy cunts. Therefore, we're already doing it. Therefore, it's science. Yeah, to totally. Totally. Yes. And if you want his further elaboration on why physiognomy should be taken as a science, if you want to read the second quote, John. Do I? You do. I don't know you if do. I do. You do. I want you to. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Watching his face as he's going through this, like the journey. It's so ridiculous. It is. The farmer, walking through his grounds, regulates his future expectations by the color, the size, the growth, the exterior. That is to say, by the physiognomy of his of the bloom, the stalk or ear of his corn. We can't get away from the corn. <laughs> I need you to understand. I threw a tablet the first time I read that. I was reading the stuff and I threw the fucking tablet. I was just like, no, I can't get away from the goddamn corn. This is some fucking bullshit. It's an evil corn tub. Fucking, this uh -huh. is that, that is dark sided corn. That's what this is. This will not be at the corn stream. This is, no. This card. The no. So, uh, phrenology which is a subsect of physiognomy is the study of the shape of your skull and how it relates to your personality and mental aptitude. Hmm. That's not problematic at all. Hmm. Hmm. And it was invented by Franz Josef Gall in, it's supposed to be 1796. I wrote 1976. So I had a whole dyslexia moment. That was my bad. It's not as good of a name. No. Do you know what's <laughs> something scary? Mm-hmm. I remember everyone was really excited when, um, fuck them, I'll name them, Zaxby's, the, like, chicken restaurant opened up in town. Oh. Me and some friends went, and they have a bunch of, uh, wacky bullshit on the walls, we'll call it. Okay. Um, you know, fake antiques and, like, pictures of white guys who started the restaurant or whatever. Okay. And, but in one of the back corners, we found, like, a little bust of a guy. Oh. And we looked him up, and it was a Franz. southern inventor of phrenology. <gasps> Franz Josef Gall? Yeah, they had a fucking statue of him in a Zaxby's, and they're like, it's southern history. Oh! No! We are never eating a Zaxby's. I had the one time that chicken is mid as fuck. Yeah. This is why we are a Popeye's podcast. That's true. <laughs> I love spinach. I can't. <laughs> Good stuff. Generally, I don't like it canned, but you know, if you got to, you got to. Yeah. Like the biscuits, though? Oh, them biscuits. The, the spinach biscuits? Mm -hmm. No, the We're talking the about real Popeyes now. I was, I was making a... We're past the cartoon jokes. The actual, like the Popeyes chicken? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like the biscuits. It's good. A little bit of that honey. That mac mm -hmm. cheese is 
top tier for fast mid food. mac and cheese. Yeah, it's for fast food mac and cheese. I that was my favorite. Yeah, I'd rather find the smokehouse food trucks. Right. I was, God damn it, they never go to the same place, so I don't know where the fuck they are. I was so <laughs> sad they got rid of green beans. I haven't been Me in a too. long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do you guys realize how much we don't want to keep talking about this? Yeah. <laughs> but we got it. We're 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 on the tail end. We're getting there. So. This evolved into race science. The thing that I've said several times is bad is the study, quote unquote, of humans as distinct racial types separated into hierarchical groups that justifies the supremacy of certain groups over others. This can be also called the science of white supremacy with big air quotes. Great. Uh, nah, nah, this is not good. A <laughs> uh, couple of names we're going to blast through on this. There's uh, Johann Friedman Blumenbach. Oh, Blumenbach. Oh, Blumenbach. Bech. During the 1820s, uh, he wrote the most popular race science divide book. He basically divided up humanity into five major groups. And his work is one of the major sources for the scientific justification of abuse, theft, slavery, and murder for many, many, many years. If you want to look mm. into how batshit his stuff is, please go for it. Uh, it's not good for your brain because you'll just want to throw everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> uh, I hurt myself for you guys. Um, there's also uh, Julien Joseph Very in the 1830s. Uh, he was big into, he's an anthropologist from France and he studied humor theory and made claims about the ties between black skin, weight, mental maturity, gluttony, and self-control. So he's, yeah, so the thing we said, the Middle Ages was like, oh, yeah, people from different areas, like, have different temperaments and skin tones. Like, he's, like, codifying in ways that you're just like, what the, what the, like, the wild ass shit, like, Uncle Ruckus says in the boondocks, Mm, mm -hmm. like, comes from this kind of shit. And you're just like, what in the wild fuck nuggets? Where do you get these crazy ass ideas? It's like, these people. This is where that comes from. Yeah, a lot of that is quoting. Shit like this. And it's fucked up. It's kind of the, uh, I know he is a, um problematic fave at best these days Mm. if that but a lot of the issue like with dave Chappelle's early comedy too was like a lot of the jokes he was making were for other black people Mm -hmm. and there's a moment he realized that like there were a lot of racist people who didn't understand that jokes he was making and just said haha black people is like that and you're just like no 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 this guy is making dark jokes for like a cultural catharsis moment not no 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 sir yeah. please fuck off uh indiscriminate of however you feel about his more recent um stand-up specials mm-hmm. and things he said that was kind of him and uncle ruckus i feel like there's a lot of historical context to the jokes they make that i feel like a lot of people my age who grew up on like comedy central and adult mm-hmm. swim and yeah. stuff just had were had, never had a have... chance to get and so a lot of those jokes don't hit the way they're intended to if you don't have that cultural background to them. Yeah, actually, the Boondocks is a big reason why I got into uh, studying, getting further into studying like the civil rights movement in the United States. Because when I moved to the States, I only got like the school explanations. And I was like, that's cool. And all you keep telling me that racism's over, but like there's no black kids at my school. And I'm very concerned. Where'd you put them? <laughs> like I had a lot of questions as a child. And then I was like, ah, so... Uh, yeah, you can blame the boondocks for a lot of my thoughts on things, for good or bad. Uh, but yeah, there's another guy I want to talk about quickly called Augustus Sander from the 1920s. He published a physiognomy photography book in Weimar, Germany. And this is a time period where not only was spiritualism really popular, but like things like physiognomy is, was just a big thing people did for funsies. 
it was really popular. And then, you know, the Nazis were like, oh, yeah, what if we uh, made this from a hobby to a job? <laughs> and yeah, even August Sanders said that he published the book as an important uh, textbook for the skill of face reading because it was a skill because we had to round people up and put them in trucks. <laughs> and I'm just like, throw. So that's why today, children, when you're on the social medias, if you see people doing face reading, that's what that is. That's this. It's bad. Don't engage with it. Hmm. It's not a good thing. I know on TikTok for a while that like cancel tilt filter was popular. So yeah, the cancel tilt is some sort of metric between like the corner of your inner eye and the corner of your outer eye and like what angle that meant would. I'd seen it as a filter for like doing your eyeliner, like the wing Mm-hmm. for an eyeliner and i went oh okay that's kind of cute because then you could like follow the lines you have more of a natural like swoop right for your uh, eye makeup and then i went then there's a button you can click where you can look at the audios or the filters and then look at other people that have made videos with the audio or the filter to see like what other creators are doing mm-hmm. and then i went oh no this is just phrenology again fuck mm. like very quickly and yeah the phrenology face reading side to social media also goes into like conspiracy theory and then the racism guys and also things like incels where they use looks maxing, which is just phrenology again. Guys, it's just phrenology again. You are hurting yourselves with phrenology, which is why a lot of those people end up in these weird cycles of psychological self-harm. And then, you know, radical racial ideologies that lead to violence. It's like it's all bad. You could literally boil it down to like how stupid like Chad versus Virgin memes are. All yeah, those. exactly. Like, it's pretty much just a form of that. Yeah, it's just phrenology again. It's like, guys, we already did this. We had a war about it. We agreed it was bad. Stop. Let's not do it. Let's not do that again. <laughs> we, can, we can skip that. Also, why are you siding with the losers? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you fuckers. How many times I got to teach you this lesson, old man? <laughs> But we're going to lead to a slightly, slightly ha ha ha, but slightly not. Uh, The Ugly Children to Almond Mom Pipeline, which I find to be interesting. This comes from a video from Abby Cox, which I love, but it also is just like an ah moment. So through the 1800s up until like about the 1960s, there was a very common public panic about having, raising, or trying to marry off ugly children, particularly ugly girls. Like there are books dedicated to making sure you don't give birth to an ugly child, what to do if you have an ugly child, like how to fix them. And these magazine parables about ugly girls overcoming their physical like deformities by gumption and being morally good. So that way some man will take on the moral duty of marrying them, even though they're ugly. Huh? It's fucking wild. And they started huh. young, like babies. Could you like? Could you imagine just being like four and your mother just being like, "Well, I mean, I understand my daughter's ugly, but if you work really hard and keep rubbing this coconut oil on your face, maybe a man will love you." It Brutal. was wild shit. Like, if you want to look into it, that again, a bunch of this shit's like public domain. You can look into it. It's funny, but it's also not funny. <laughs> it's right. just like the crazy contraptions because Victorians were like, "We fucking love a gadget." The crazy. <laughs> we we love a potion. <laughs> Like crazy shit people were coming up with to make sure that their child wasn't ugly. And particularly for the ladies, uh, your ability to move socially or have any kind of stability was entirely dependent on you being married to the right guy. So you had to be hot. <laughs> like it just, you had to be. It was just, just, that's what you did. That was the way you served your family and God and country was you had to be hot to get hitched up to some guy. And you better be aiming up like way higher in social status than you. Because if you don't, like, then you're just a disappointment. Womp. Yeah, it's crazy shit. 
But this is kind of the root for being seen as ugly, lowering your social and moral capital. Mm. It's like we have generational trauma we as a society need to work through. <laughs> um, and you'll note that most of this cuts off like in the 1960s, which is where, you know, the sexual liberation and women's rights and all that kind of stuff and civil rights and uh, various brown and black power movements were coming in. They're just like the shift, though, goes into this semi-positive, semi-dark area of like, yeah, so it's not so much focused on whether or not you're ugly or not. And it's not as aggressive about that. But the shift goes from being that to oh, yeah, you should, like, work on your own self-improvement for your health. And it turns into weaponizing thinness. Because this shift kind of goes into, like, the 70s into the 80s and 90s, where we start getting this hyper-fixation on being thin, which can get really fucked up. Mm -hmm. um, for the, I, the stuff I had read didn't really notice this, but looking at all of these things in totality, it's hard for me to not notice that mainstream culture particularly in the west seems to get really hyper fixated on thinness during times of like racial and cultural strife so if there's big cultural movements based around like racial tensions everyone suddenly gets really focused on being thin and that has some weird creepy connotations at least in my readings of it because there was so much effort put back in the day on describing brown and black bodies as being gluttonous and undesirable and like animalistic mm. so i'm just kind of like oh guys maybe don't we've been here we've done this yeah we've done this stop doing it with uh the focus on thinness is kind of culminated with uh not culminated but kind of reached a social peak with the who announcing obesity as an epidemic internationally in 1997 ah the bush era well going into Th the bush that, era. yeah that was clinton still but that's when you got things like bush's presidential fitness <laughs> challenge mm -hmm. and was an outcome of that right yeah that was part of it that and basically having that along with a bunch of medical basically the medicalization of obesity pushes basically what is a private vanity thing into a public health crisis which is where a lot of the fat shaming and diet culture from like the night the 2000s late 90s 2000s 2010s comes in and some going back and looking at that shit is fucking wild i don't know if you guys have ever looked back at old media or oldish media and just the weird amount of ripping into people about their body weight is fucking insane. Oh, yeah. It's fucking insane. Like, God, I, I'd i seen a clip of uh, a Britney Spears performance after she had... I saw this, yeah. Yeah, the, where she was in, like, the black sequin bikini. Like, she looked great. She looked fine. And just, just and it was a smash cut of every, like, ETV media person just commenting and just ripping into her, like, she was my body weight. And mm. I'm a big lady. I'm a... I'm a chunky bitch. I own that. Uh, but I'm just like, the things they were saying about her, and I'm like, she could not be above, she could not be more than a size 10. She could not. And I was just like, that's crazy. And I'm just like, ah, that's good. I love that we do this. Hmm. So yeah, a lot of this like fat shaming and diet culture has echoes of ableism, fat phobia, and eugenics thinking in ways where basically we're viewing bodies and the health of others being tied directly into their social and moral values and worth. So it's like a, hey, working out is great. Feeling good is great. Being careful about your health. Cool. But ripping people down for like being a fat bitch or just like, I don't think you should be wearing that. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of really snidey things and me existing as a femme person in a bigger body. I still in 2023 have people tell me like, wow, you're really funny for a big girl. Jesus. Still, still just like, you know, people are just like, wow, I'm surprised I'm attracted to you. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? 
because I'm still getting the 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 fat funny friend thing where they're trying to shove me into these holes of like you're a secondary support character and you don't have value in this conversation because you're here to just do side character work I guess mm. and then people are surprised like wow you have thoughts on things you put work into stuff and I'm like yeah because I'm a I'm a whole person with like personality and like thoughts and shit it's wild I get that shit and I'm white. <laughs> I can't imagine dealing with that shit. And then also having melanin. Like, dear God, people must say some wild ass shit. So, yeah, that's... Uh. <laughs> I'm not even sarcastically being like, woo. Woo, you're just like, fuck. Nah, that was bad. That's okay. We're getting into the, the last little chunk. The part that you guys were excited about. The, the nugget of the ashes of everything now. Yay. Yay. Huh. So, little quote. Uh, Hunter, do you want to read this one? Sure. This loneliness is exacerbated by the public nature of the internet. When we live on a stage, we don't display our true selves to our friends. We project a constructed identity. And that's uh, Bo Burnham, Arcade Fire, and the Infinite Dread of the Internet by Polyphonic. I highly recommend people watch that video. I shared it on the Patreon. It's fantastic. In our Discord. Uh, yeah, Patreon. in the Discord, which is free. You should go. If you're on Patreon, go to that thing. Um, I saved you a search. <laughs> but yeah, uh, because we live in this era where it could basically be described as a hedonistic maximalist hellscape. I mean, the, those descriptions <laughs> together does sound a little bit cool. It sounds cool, but then we but end then up. Then you look at it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like, you, look, oh, you think no. about it for more than like thirty seconds. You're like, that sounds rad. No, no. but I don't want it. No. Yeah. So. There's always something to play. You can watch, listen, read. There's always something you can engage with. Mm -hmm. um, all of us are simultaneously creators and consumers at all times, simultaneously. Uh, and with the advent of seamless scrolling and nonlinear timelines, basically around 2013, especially within social medias, um, our interactions through those uh, lenses have hit this weird, absurd, infinite continuum of basically commodification where everything and every facet of you as a person is now got a price tag. Somebody wants to buy it. Mm. And uh, it's exhausting. <laughs> I think, um, as a creator, I really like artist. I think everything, almost everything he does is behind a paywall. Mm -hmm. Uh, but his name's Brad Trammell. I've shared some of his stuff mm -hmm. in the discord before. Um, but he did a really interesting video on the history of Funko pops and how what started as like kind of just in the 90s is they're much older than people think they are first of all hmm. but um it starts in the 90s and the history of like here's a cute little toy i can put on my shelf it's a thing i like how that the company intentionally started doing like funko weekends and meetups and turning it into a culture and a personality and now hmm. that they've they're less like just a cute little toy i have and more a signifier of personality um, and how even the box design is designed for you to have the weird wall. The wall of Funkos. Where, like, they go together to form an image of your personality, and your personality is nothing but representative images of things you've purchased and consumed before, mm -hmm. and that your personality only exists as a mosaic of what you have consumed and mm -hmm. have brought into your identity through consuming icons of that consumption. Mm -hmm. And then... There's an even better video he did after that talking about the history of NFTs and how the art world's secretly been that way forever. And we mm -hmm. just didn't let poor people know about it before that. 
Yeah. And like art trading houses and that whole economy. Oh, yeah. Art trading houses and just the sheer amount of money laundering tax evasion that happens within gallery spaces is why when I was in art school and I had opportunities to showcase my work at galleries, I refused and actually tanked my own grades because I just refused to be involved in any of that kind of shit. And people were surprised. They're just like, really? And I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know what part of me made you think I didn't have standards. But, you know, here we are. Mm. <laughs> Give me the C. Thank you. <laughs> there might have been a reason i've dropped out of schools before hmm. it's fucking wild but given the cycles we find ourselves now hell even right now with the show we are technically commodifying a hobby that we all enjoy i'm commodifying something i'm actually turning into like an academic study by doing the show we're participating in it right now i think it's kind it's of Im- wild it's kind of impossible to i mean I yes, I create the show and like produce and edit and all that. And I do another podcast as well. But I've almost tried to remove myself from it on the opposite end on the Mm -hmm. consumer end. And it's nearly impossible. Like you can cut down the amount of time you spend watching YouTube videos, but the algorithm will find you if you watch any. You can try and not use social media, but even like logging in to post stuff about the show, you see things. And like you would have to live such a weird, like anti-tech lifestyle to fully pull away from it. You'd have to be like the dad who leaves the weather channel on all day and reads a newspaper. (laughs) It's like almost the only way you could escape this cycle. Right. And it's just, I find that to be a very interesting question and how we are going to proceed forward, especially in the light of the, at least bare minimum, the visual and beauty aesthetics that we have a legacy that's like problematic to say the very fucking least. Because, you know, it's, it's one thing if you have like, uh, I guess preferences, you're allowed to have preferences, you're allowed to have your taste, but understanding where that exists and why and what context that is and be like is this really what you do you actually really like this on a person or is this what society has fed you your whole fucking life and you've never thought to process anything on your own it's like you know i'm not here to yuck anybody's yum i just want people to like think about it and just be like "Mm, is this really what i want is this really what i'm into is this really who i am as a person (laughs) so like i don't know you you self-reflection yeah yeah, yeah. you want people to look inward i want people to look inward it's terrifying in there it's spooky as shit (laughs) i love doing that to people in world of darkness games it's my favorite i would take a step further and say especially with some of like you're talking about like the tiktok and the filters and some of the challenges that Mm -hmm. are pretty much just physiognomy and phrenology again i think the number one question is why do you care if a random ass filter says you have smart eyes or not like that is something worth asking yourself like yeah. why when you see these things why is your would if you have the instinct why is your instinct to see well does this random app created by a stranger think that i have um a tough looking jawline <laughs> right is somebody weaponizing my self-worth issues to get me to spend the money yeah. or you never know, various things and never. there's no one would ever do no that. one would ever weaponize your fear no. Of dying alone not and not having friends and being respected to get you to buy a protein powder. No, Never. No way. I like protein powder. <laughs> I do. looks so offended. Oh no. I just like protein that's, powder. That's fair. But uh, I guess I'm kind of trying to put a button on these like, hey guys, I don't have all of the answers on this, but there's some things you should consider. And at least something particularly in going into the Toreador episodes, I would like people to consider as uh, 
how is one supposed to be making art in this world that we exist in today? Is there a responsible way to make art in this world and in the context we exist in? What does it mean to create art that someone is killing themselves to create? Because there's a lot of content creators that are just fucking hustle grind setting themselves into fucking oblivion. Mm -hmm. Because of the computer says I have to have these numbers to go up. I mean, we're, we as a group are not doing that, clearly. <laughs> but it does, I think some of those questions still come to me mm. about this show and our place in the community and viewing the greater creator world, quote unquote, is like, I'm not a very public person and I don't really want to be. Like, I like releasing the show and talking with people and getting to know other people in the space and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and I do like chatting with our listeners and Discord and stuff. But, like, I don't want to... I don't want my entire life dissected by strangers just because I talk about vampires, yeah. etc. sometimes. And, but, like, it's nearly an inescapable... inescapable thing that mm -hmm. will happen when you do grow big enough online is you can either like ballast yourself from that and become very private mm -hmm. or you have to just accept like however you feel about the show i know i've made criticisms about them at least in the discord on here although i used to be a big fan like some of the things that have happened with like ben kissel mm -hmm. of last podcast lately where their listeners basically bullied him into alcoholism because Aww. essentially he every time he got a girlfriend um, the listeners would start like cyberbullying him and her about it uh, to the point where he ended up going into rehab because his last girlfriend was a stripper and mm -hmm. people were so upset that they bullied her until she had to delete all of her social media. What the and fuck? then he ended up in the hospital. That's why he hasn't been on the show in oh a little while, God. if you're curious. But like I, I fell off of cat. I, I did that thing where I was like letting the episodes built up and then I let them build up for too long and I just haven't had time to get caught back up. And I'm just like, right. what the guys, what the Ben? Why are you bullying mm. Ben? He's a good bean. The fuck? Yeah, but uh, that is just kind of the reality at some level of being a public persona. Mm. And so I think maybe we all need to, whether it's someone we like or dislike, and I'm not talking about like big names like Ben Shapiro or Hassan or people who are like, who've made themselves millionaires out yeah. of this. Like they've kind of set themselves in a position where they probably deserve the eyes on them. But like- <laughs> That was their choice. Yes. But like for everyday creators are just people. And we have to remake, keep like some level of humanity to where like this person probably just has a normal life exactly like your own. Mm -hmm. And just because you inundate your brain with them talking for hundreds of hours does not mean that they're probably as important or as public as a figure as you now imagine them. Mm -hmm. And you probably don't know them as well as you imagine them. Yeah. And on the flip side, on the creator side, it's like a, hey, uh, I, this is like something that being on the art world we talk about and deal with but in create content creator spaces just doesn't really come up is when you're making pieces especially when they're going out to the public you as the creator do have a responsibility to make sure that the intent and the messaging that you are putting out is getting across and uh if you're a social conscious one like me making sure that the message you're getting across isn't going out and hurting other people which does involve 
a lot of introspection and deconstructing your own fucking uh, implicit biases and want, like constantly wondering why the fuck you're doing what you're doing and taking in other uh, sources of media that you're taking in for uh, inspiration and deconstructing and dissecting that constantly. And it's why it takes me forever to watch things. It's because I'm like, guys, I, I do enjoy watching movies and shows, but it takes me so fucking long to deconstruct them in a way that I feel like morally okay with in my soul. That I'm like, I just don't have the time to consume all of the bullshit that's constantly getting made. And I, on the flip side, I put a lot of effort and thought and work into things I put out because I want to make sure I'm putting things out in the world that are at least trying to make the world better than when I came into it. I don't know if we're succeeding. I'm hoping we are. I don't know. Eh. The corn tub will decide. <laughs> Which... Leads to the final question, which comes from the Bo Burnham Arcade Fire and the Infinite Dread of the Internet by Polyphonic Video, which is how do you create in the face of the apocalypse? Which is the hell of a fucking question. I, <laughs> I love it, though. It's an interesting question, but it's also, I think, a pretty easy one to answer, at least from my perspective, mm. mostly because humanity has been living in the apocalypse for the majority of humanity's existence. Like, yeah. there almost has always been something on the horizon that's going to end the world as we know it or destroy whether it's religious like christian uh end times people who've been around forever um you know war world war one world war two i was not as much as i wasn't a fan of oppenheimer like the the one big point they make is what if we accidentally just burn everything what if the bomb is so big it literally just burns the entire atmosphere god actually reading about that moment in thought is so fucking bananas because i have a nuclear history hyperfixation. hello everyone <laughs> I think it's interesting. Well, blame the fact my parents showed me Dr. Strangelove a little too young. Hmm. Just disco. They're like, it's a comedy. It'll be fine. And I'm like, this is terrifying. You guys thought this was a comedy? The fuck's wrong with you? It's hilarious, but what the fuck? <sighs> so, yeah. <laughs> that is my overview on attempting to cover morality and beauty in the Western canon. And I've fucking shattered my brain. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired. <laughs> The next couple episodes will be more fun. I promise, hopefully. <laughs> oh, it's, it wasn't that it was fun. It was just because it was heavy. It was heavy. Uh, well, beauty is a burden. You suffer for art. But why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's posed. Actually, it's a pretty good pose. I'll give you that. Uh, so, yeah, just a... Yeah. Yeah, just a... Hey, guys, I just... I thoroughly believe that because society is constructed on narratives, the stories that we tell each other is really important and understanding the context and why you're writing the stories that you're sharing with each other is important. And having stories with empathy and thought and context and nuance will hopefully make the world a better place. That's me chucking my hope bottle into the fucking abyss. Hell yeah. And just hoping something cool comes back and yeah. Go, Ocean, go. Uh, Loki, that's what I've been trying to do with the show the whole time. <laughs> Joke's on you guys. I pulled this curtain down. This has secretly been a <laughs> Mage the Awakening podcast the whole time. No! Fuck! <laughs> I'm kind of cool with that. I'm kind of cool with that. I'm just That's scared. what happens when you let a Tremere on the podcast. <laughs> you actually got him to hiss. Uh. I did. He actually hissed. Wow. <laughs> It was just unexpected. I wasn't ready for it. Uh, this is my feral instinct. I, uh, there. I know, buddy. It's I didn't okay. know you were a gangrel. I'm not. <laughs>
You sure? I got a lot of protein. You spend a lot of time in the woods. I do enjoy the woods. Because he's tied to the land. Okay, so when I went accidentally went on my night hike, here's a fun little story. For <laughs> what do you everybody. mean you accidentally went on a night hike? Well, I was at Turkey Run for my birthday, and um, I was like, I want to get to Boulder Canyon. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like headed toward Boulder Canyon. I'm like, oh, I'm still like probably about half a mile away. I can I can make it there before sundown. Mm-hmm. Well, what I didn't think about, friends, is if you're coming down to Boulder Canyon, you're going down into the gullies and stuff. And the sun sets really fast in those gullies. Mm-hmm. So I got down into those gullies and I was like, oh, fuck, it's dark. <laughs> yes, that's what happens when and the sun had, goes away. I had the, dark, the dogs with me mm-hmm. and I was like, well, luckily I have my flashlight. Hold on. And I have this little uh, like headlamp that you, I took off the strap and I put it on my backpack. And I press the little button. It turns on. I take like three steps and it turns off. I was like, no, huh? I do it again and I take like three or four steps. It turns off and I'm like, fuck, the battery's dead. It's a chargeable one. So I don't have, I can't can't just replace the batteries. Lucky, I have one in my little side pouch here. A battery pack? No, a flashlight, a whole ass flashlight. So I got that out. Just an old school analog flashlight. Click, click. Um, So I got that out and I was able to hike. But legit, I made two or three videos just talking because I was going to post them. But then I was like, it's too dark. The camera didn't pick anything up. So it was just me walking in the dark being like, well, actually, you know, now that I'm out here and it's nighttime, I could see it being gang girl territory. (laughs) If I don't come back, that's probably that. Just... One gang girl just morphed into a bobcat in a tree, just like going like this, dumb as fuck. <laughs> yeah. He's got dumb as hell. What the fuck is he doing? Out, who let him out here? <laughs> <laughs> the dogs are cute, though. No joke, though. Coming back across the uh, suspension bridge, there's that concrete like archway. I think I posted it. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming up to it, my flashlight was real. It's a good flashlight. It's nice and bright. But because of how it hit the uh, concrete arc, concrete archway, the the nightness behind it just looked like nothing. It's just like black behind it. <laughs> so I like clicked it open and I looked at it and I was like, oh, oh, that's that's a gateway. So that's oh, probably bad. Just mm. I gotta go. That's the only way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. John. It was literally like the suspension bridge goes into it. John. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone in and I out worry. of there so many times, but that whole time it was dark. And I, the moon was out. And it I was know, hon. I know. I know. I need you to understand because I grew up with like stories of like the wee folk and the fair folk and shit like that. It spooks me the fuck out how easily you could just get got. No, no joke. I literally, I didn't post a lot of the things I wanted to post because they, mm-hmm. they just didn't work out right or whatever. But there were multiple pictures I took of like, just from the angle it was, the shadows just made a, sh- a shadow look super deep or super mm-hmm. dark or whatever in weird spots. And I took a couple of pictures and I was going to post them. Didn't take good picture, but I was going to post them being like, mm-hmm. don't worry, guys. I said no to the voice in this one. <laughs> Speaking of saying no to the voice, thank you, Paralyze, for your music. Actually say yes to that voice. Yeah, say say no to the voice, but yes to Paralyze. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the music is good. Check them out on Bandcamp. I don't remember if they have anything new right now. I don't think so. No, I think he's been working on some other projects. Ooh, he's working on stuff. Hell yeah. Uh, I guess we're still on Twitter right now. I'm going to dead name that app. I don't care. Yeah, blank underscore bodies. Uh, Instagram. Stir. Uh, we're putting more focus on the Instagram, so... Come hang out with us over there. Yes. I'm uh, going to try and be better about putting stuff on. See if you can guess which ones were me. It's mostly <laughs> been me, but things will 
Right. Would change. There could be more of them. <laughs> well, because we're actually going to be using it now. Woo! Uh, we do have a Tumblr at Blank Bodies Pod. Instagram is also Blank Bodies Pod. Uh, I think Hunter's mostly doing the Tumblr. I don't really use the Tumblr anymore, <laughs> mm, but okay. I don't understand it. But, you um, know, you can tag us and stuff. <laughs> yeah, no, we... In whatever. I mean, maybe not whatever, but most things. Teach teach us how to use the Tumblr. I'm old enough that I should know, but I was not a Tumblr girly, so I have no I mostly copy-pasted our posts from the other sites, but, okay. like, it never gets any attention there, but they do pretty well everywhere else, so I kind of just, like stop using it because i felt like we weren't contributing anything to the community so that's I was valid like, yeah. uh yeah. we're also on blue sky just blank bodies yeah ah so we got in early there got it yeah we did yeah we did uh i'm back to using the tiktok Woo. Woo. so i will be doing a corn tub story time and doing updates as we progress on the uh the corn tub uh anthology on tiktok so keep keep posted I don't think I've gotten enough metrics for us to be able to make playlists yet, but I think we're close. I oh, need to double yeah. check. So then we can have the Corn Tub Saga as its own playlist. Bum, nice. bum. Bum, bum. I'm trying to get there. If we get tic- if we get TikTok live though, that'll be crazy. That'll be crazy. Cray Zay. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. So uh those that uh enjoy us for doing the silly and the not silly, we do have a Patreon. Uh got tiers from five dollars on up. You can get Discord titles, participate in polls that help us run the show. Mm-hmm. And I also do uh, illustrations and uh, we have show notes and other resources. So thank you for your dollar dues. Well, you're going to be getting episodes too. There's also going to be episodes now. Yeah. And those are going to be for everybody. Yes. We're not, we decided not to lock them behind any tier. We figure if you support us at all, we'll give you a little bit of extra content. Yes. Um, and so there's a voting tier. We will continue to do votes occasionally for what goes on the main show. Mm-hmm. But all the episodes that come out as bonus episodes are, for the most part, are going to be voted on by you. There's a couple mm-hmm. special things I have in mind that I think we're just going to be like, here's a surprise, but um, where there's going to be more vote listener polls just to be like, for our patrons, you're our patron, you get the bonus content, so why don't you help us decide what it's going to be? Yes, help us li- be less dumb. Uh, there will be voting for the clan deep dives. We're also getting to the point now where we can start covering deep dives on the lore. Bah, bah, bah. So we can have polls on what parts of the Canaan you wish for us to cover let us know which flesh cathedral you want us to talk about. Oh, God. There's so many. There's There's been a few. There's so many. There's uh, been a few historical <laughs> ones, in fact. A poll of how many drinks Sarah has to be in before we start covering Beckett. <laughs> no. How drunk do you want Sarah to be before the Beckett uh, episode? Because <laughs> I have opinions. Here's the thing. I almost... Why did my dad just text me a picture of Anton LaVey? <laughs> anyway. Um, Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. I'm not even kidding. He's straight up. No, I believe you. I didn't That's need hilarious. the proof. Anyway, um, <laughs> nice what red is... background behind the picture too. Yeah. It's a cool picture, but like, what the fuck? Uh, he's been going to some weird museums lately. Uh, uh, send me stuff he think I think is cool. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, what we're even talking about? God, me getting damn. drunk during uh, the Beckett. oh yeah. Dive. I feel like we don't need to do a Beckett episode. Beckett's he's got a interesting. whole book. Yeah, but it. It covers literally everything. It's so much that we'd almost want to cover everything else first so that then we can briefly mention he was at this event and people would know what we meant. (laughs) (laughs) And because right now you try and cover the history of Beckett and it's like, all right, 
Uh, here's 40 books you have to reference to understand what we're talking about today. This is but why we need the patrons to I vote. I promise you he was there. <laughs> I, I promise you he was. He was there. That's why we need the patrons to help us. Yes. <laughs> um, we also have an interview series, so if you are doing any kind of cool projects involving goth, horror, or gaming, we are interested mm-hmm. in hearing that, whether it is game construction, LARPs, Cosplay, uh, tabletop, uh, community organizing, live plays, actual streams. Uh, you write. You write. Oh, yeah, you write. All right, you write. If you're a fucking vampire, I'm tired of asking. We're going to keep asking. Hit us up. Now he's telling. He's, I am telling. He found his Dom voice. This time. <laughs> I'm proud of him. Hey, fuck off. <laughs> you're the one that's been fucking with a cream pie. <laughs> like all of this episode. <laughs> He's not eating it either. It's, no, it's turned into like it. an oatmeal dust. It's just well, it's, it's not, not even dust. It's, it's more like, of a goop cuz it was it was creamy, don't you worry. No, it's still creamy. It's still creamy in there. <laughs> God. Quit fingering the cream pie. Anyway, I think that's a good note. That's anyway, a good note. I love you. Love your faces. I'm going to go I don't know. I I need I need to wash my brain. You go Kissing. get some chili. No. You've had too much chili.